It's yeah. so nice to be able to talk, especially, I mean, all three of us, we've had such different experiences with pregnancy and it's like yeah. to have other people to talk to and to hear like, you know, you're not alone. Yeah, it's so yeah. taboo no. or shame mm-hmm. or guilt and mm-hmm. it, 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 like social media is this picture perfect world. Yeah. And then you feel worse when you see that because you yeah. think it's so uncommon. So that's why right. I love this, what you guys are doing here, because it's so empowering to be like, right. it's not yeah. picture perfect. Like everybody no. has their own story and hardships and like, we can have life. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. It's, it's yeah. life. Yeah. And, and, and I think, yeah, to be able to talk about it, it's like, this is what's happening. Wow. Priscilla, we just finished recording with Jen Lowe and her story was just inspiring. I felt all the feels as she was telling and walking us through each step of her pregnancy journey and her um, first few months of being a mom. It was, gosh, there was a lot that she unpacked with us today. I mean, it made me tear up just listening to her share her story because I was like, I remember feeling that way. For me, it was such a long time ago that I went Mm -hmm. through those things, but then her now being able to share that on this podcast, I'm like, I wish I would have had that opportunity because I remember yes because I remember talking to you about it all the time Mm -hmm. and I was like I just need to write this down I just need to write this down Mm -hmm. I'm excited for you guys to all hear it and hopefully feel supported by it because that's you know yeah that's the whole point so Jen's story it's real it's raw but I do want to just warn any of our pregnant or trying to get pregnant listeners if you're not in a place to hear this story please honor that by tuning out Um, Mm -hmm. there'll be other episodes for you guys, but maybe this one might not be one that you need to hear right now. And that's okay. Um, but we want to share every part of life. Um, and, um, with that, here is the episode. We hope you guys enjoyed as much as we did. Welcome to the lean and learn podcast where two best friends, a mom and a therapist come together to lean on each other and learn from each other. This podcast was created to hear stories of success, suffering, and everything in between. A space for women to feel connected, supported, and heard. You can expect total realness from Priscilla and Zoe as we share our own life experiences, and we hope you take this journey with us as we lean on and learn from. Today we have Jen Lowe with us. Jen is a licensed social worker. She is a mental health therapist, a mom, a wife, and then she runs a holistic um, YouTube channel, which is so awesome. So hi, Jen. So nice to see you. Thanks for having me. Yes, Yes. absolutely. And so I know Jen, we've been colleagues in the past. So we we, we've known each other for a little bit of time, but um, this is Priscilla and Jen's first time meeting. So, yes. So nice to meet you and have you here with us. Yes. It's nice yes. to be here. So today we're going to be talking about just your journey to becoming a mom. And really the, the, what we like to do is just open it up for you to start it from the beginning and, and we'd for love sure. to hear. Well, I'm excited to share my story because I feel like besides repeating snippets of it to like providers that my son's a part of, I haven't gotten Mm -hmm. to be able to start from the beginning and and just share. And like the caveat is 
I'm only six or seven months from it. So yeah. I get emotional. Really or, new. <laughs> yeah. And what I've learned too, is like, it's hard to process when you're still actively in it. And mm-hmm. like the medical yeah. high medical needs baby, like you're still in it. Like, yeah. and so it's hard. You're kind of in that survival mode versus yes. like, getting to the point of thriving and so I guess it kind of starts from my pregnancy journey and just the anxiety Mm -hmm. that came up and like I knew I always wanted to be a mom that was something that was like you know always like even when I was little like I love babies and kids and I'm actually very grateful for my social work like experience because I would have not known how to advocate and navigate everything that I've done so that will kind of play through a little bit but um and you never expect to go through any of it. Like you can only prepare yourself for so much, but it's like nothing I have gone through. Like, yeah. So it's like that, that that's not going to happen to me. Right. That kind of thought it's like, that. exactly. You don't think it happens. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I found out we were pregnant, um, Christmas Eve morning of last year. Um, and so so that was really sweet. And, you know, the pregnancy journey, I, I felt like, oh, I'm lucky I got pregnant pretty fast because I know other women that like take time and it, it, you know, that, that can be a really hard thing. And fortunately, like no miscarriages or just like, so I'm like, okay, smooth sailing with just like getting pregnant. And I was 33 when I got pregnant. So, I mean, a little on the older side, but, (laughs) but, um, the pregnancy was pretty stressful and kind of anxiety ridden and just that, you know, our 10 week ultrasound or 12 week, um, we found out that I had something called an SUA and apparently mm-hmm. in the umbilical cord, there's supposed to be three veins instead of two. And oh, I, have, two. I have heard of this. Yes. 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 And so it's mm-hmm. not supposed to impact a lot like it's very Mm -hmm. common and they just said like well we'll have to give continual monitoring to make sure like the kidneys growing okay and just the growth rates and everything and apparently the umbilical cord it like sends nutrients and blood flow and stuff so I had Mm -hmm. two instead of one and then your automatic response is like my body didn't do what it's supposed to do (laughs) like you know so yeah like my body failed at this. So that was kind of the mm-hmm. first thing, like navigating mm-hmm. like the, the emotional first ultrasound, the, you know, 10 or 12 weeks, we found out it, he was a boy and that was really yes. something to celebrate. We did that through genetic so testing. Special. Yeah. And then the 20 week, the anatomy scan, the, the big one, and mm-hmm. it, it's hard yeah. when you've already found something because then you kind of go into these ultrasounds that are supposed to be like this joyful thing. Mm-hmm. And it's like waiting for the other shoe to drop. Like what, mm-hmm. you know, what are they going to tell yeah. me? What am I going to find out? So it kind of like robs the joy a little bit, but on um, the 20 week ultrasound, they found something with the heart. And so um, it's it's called like a pulmonary bowel stenosis. So the, one of the valves wasn't closing how it should. And then he mm-hmm. had an extra vein in the heart or extra artery or something in the heart. So we already knew going in, you know, after he would be born that um, we'd probably have to be followed up with cardiology. And there's mm-hmm. no like the genetic testings were normal. There is not yeah. any like family history with any of that. And so that it's was kind of a, a surprise. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so some of that came up during pregnancy. And then I was technically high risk because of mm-hmm. the SUA, but also um, gestational diabetes, which is not fun. Family history of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and even just navigating that is a whole other topic. Like, Did you end up having gestational diabetes or was it yeah. just a 
precautionary. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I ended up having it, um, failed the glucose. Um, and I kind of knew going in, we caught it really early, um, because of my Good. family history. Yeah. Um, and so I already knew it wasn't necessarily going to be a surprise to me. It was just figuring out how to, um, navigate it, especially working. Mm-hmm. I was working at a charter school and doing therapy mm-hmm. with kids in a school that like K-8. Oh my goodness. So high and cortisol so, already. And yes, and so, and then even just with that, like they had me on metformin and then you hear mm-hmm. different things from different providers yes. of research of like, well, metformin can cross the placenta and it can, the baby can get four times the amount of concentration of that medication. Mm-hmm. So we recommend mm-hmm. in insulin. And so I was on metformin for a month and then went to um, insulin and that just transition of like hearing different things, different providers. And there's so like confusing. meeting a lot of like shame invoking providers too. Like mm. it's stressful enough to make sure you're nourishing your body when you're pregnant and like eating yeah. the things you need to. And then like, you should not be dieting when you're, you know, right. pregnant, but like having so what, just stress. <laughs> yeah. Was it a lot of That's like, you lot. should be doing it this way or you shouldn't be doing it this way. Like, why are you doing it this way? Kind of thing. Yeah. Just like, um, shame, just, it's a lot to keep track of, but yeah. also like monitoring your carbs and, yeah. you know, making sure you're eating. I don't know. It's, <sighs> and it's yeah. hard because I learned that like women that don't have any history or mm-hmm. like I met, I knew somebody that like was like, a huge athlete was vegan, like ate all the super good stuff mm-hmm. and still ended up getting yeah. it. And yeah. so I guess the placenta or the baby, like something about like your tolerance, like when there's a hormone that like it, you can't tolerate or yeah. produce insulin or something. something there's like not that. really so, much you can like do to. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. Like, so with that anxiety and then the medical piece and then the diabetes and like feeling like so much is out of your control. Mm. And at that time I'm like, okay, well insulin and like checking my numbers and like taking the shots. And I, I could, I have tattoos, but I cannot handle shots like needles. <laughs> like I'm a weird one like that. And it's so weird that, having to do it to yourself too. I'm sure. Yes. Yes. And like rotating. And so just the stress of, of managing all of that and the supplies and everything. So it's it's just so crazy. I'm thinking like, you know, like you were saying earlier, so many women have just a normal pregnancy and this is supposed to be such a wonderful experience and it's supposed to be so just like blissful. I know people like in my world, like, Oh, I love being Priscilla, for example, like I love being pregnant. And it's so, it's just such a, different experience and mm-hmm. you have just such different feelings just depending on what you're having to go through so yeah yeah it's it's a weird um yeah it's it's that I feel like social media and like especially when you don't see like the other side of it yeah like the harsh and like I I wasn't really nauseous I didn't have a lot of symptoms like pregnancy it was kind of, it was smooth sailing outside of like, mm-hmm. what am I going to find on this ultrasound and the managing diabetes? Like, you know, yeah. uh, so, um, got through that. And then near the end, because of gestational and because of like the SUA and the growth and the heart mm-hmm. stuff, um, I, I had like my midwife appointment once a month. I had perinatal monitoring appointments twice a week and just like all these kind oh of different goodness. specialties, diabetes, nutritionist people, like every few weeks, 
So it's a lot of appointments. It's a lot, yeah, yeah, it's exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. That is. Um, yeah. But I, I'm like, you know, I rather have eyes on. I rather if there's something, it, it kind of helps with anxiety. Yeah, I was like, gonna say it's like I was high risk, so it was like really nice to when I was going through it. I'm like, hey, I I'll do all the extra things as many yep. times as I'm coming to see you. I love exactly. it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I'm like, I don't need to buy one of those hard. Yeah. Yes. I'll be my, here next I week. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> um, and so I think you know if I ever have a second pregnancy I know mm-hmm. I'm gonna have anxiety and I know mm-hmm. I'm gonna yeah. have to go through some trauma work for yeah. this because yeah. I was monitored so much and so mm-hmm. my due date was um September 12th was supposed to be my due date 40 weeks I was going to be induced at 38 or 39 weeks just because of the gestational diabetes and like mm-hmm. the medical team is like there's no reason to keep you full term like the risks you know increase with that so I was looking into you know beginning of September to to have him whatever that looks like and we had scheduled family we're in New Mexico and we have all family out of state my dad's in Florida Javi's parents are in Texas and then Washington State so they're kind of everywhere my sister's in Germany yeah so I got a lot of scheduling and planning yeah and we didn't have a lot of support here so that was kind of like hard so um guess we'll get to the day it was a Friday and Mm -hmm. and this Mm -hmm. was July 29th and um I had a self-care day planned I like went out and I got my toe I got a pedicure (laughs) that morning I had a perinatal appointment Uh um and it was like 10 out of 10 he scored great he was moving he was practicing his breathing and you know they picked up some alter like some contractions but it was like few and far between and very on the mild side and that night before I had some back pain but they say like oh it could be Braxton Hicks Mm -hmm. so I was 33 weeks at this point so far along you know third trimester Mm -hmm. and so I'm like didn't think too much and I'm like oh I have an appointment next day I'll just get checked there Everything was great in that appointment. And so I went through the afternoon and that appointment was at 11. And so, yeah, got a peri- like a prenatal massage. Um, <laughs> I like love a it. hair trim. Yes. I'm like, Good. I'm all the self-care. All the things. The comes. Yeah. Yes. And so my last appointment, and I was in Albuquerque and my husband was on Las Lunas. So I took his car and it was 30 minutes away. And so um, I called him after my massage and I'm like, okay, I'm going to go pick us pick us up for food and we'll have a good relaxing evening mm-hmm. we'll eat some Indian takeout and watch some movies get to the Indian it's restaurant and I hadn't I hadn't eaten <laughs> like I had a lunch around like noon or one and by the time I picked up food it was around six and so I was waiting in the lobby of the Indian restaurant and I started getting really dizzy really faint I'm like what's going on like this is weird mm. so I had to sit down I never fainted. And so I I even told like one of the waiters, I was like, do you guys have like some candy or like something sweet? Like mm-hmm. I thought it was hypoglycemic. I thought, okay, mm-hmm. I haven't eaten a few hours. I don't have any mm-hmm. sugars on me. Like, is this low blood sugar? So yeah. I'm like, I don't feel good. I need to go sit in my car. So I let them know, like, I'm, can you deliver the food out to the car? And so I get out there and um, they like the owner of the restaurant comes and brings this like sorbet stuff. I'm like, that's sweet. I'll try this. <laughs> tried it. Immediately threw it up. Oh, oh I was no. like, okay, this is weird. Like what's going on? Something's wrong. I, yeah. I called Javi and I'm like, something's not right. I don't feel right. I feel really, really faint. I'm like passing out, but I'm sitting down. I haven't 
fallen or anything. Um, and he's like, okay, well try to breathe, like check my blood sugar. It was in the normal range. So it wasn't mm. my blood sugar. I was like, okay, what's going on? Scary. So, um, I like threw up again and I'm like struggling. I was like, Javi, you need to call the police, like call an ambulance. Like I yeah. don't know. Right. Yeah. And mm. so, um, he's like, okay, where are you? Like, and he's 30 minutes away and I couldn't even, I didn't even have the strength oh. at that point to like call myself or the name of the place. And so he's like 30 minutes away calling an ambulance for me. And I'm just like, like seat recline, just like in and out. And I'm like, this oh is my scary. Like, what's happening? Yeah. And this was five hours, you know, my appointment yeah. was 11 and it's now six o'clock. And mm. I always think back of like, you know, one wrong thing or one delayed thing, the outcome could have been so mm. much different. Mm-hmm. And so the ambulance took forever to find me in the parking lot. Like my doors open. I'm like, should I just roll out in the street and they'll find me? Like, <laughs> to find me. Um, I'm oh, over here. <laughs> yeah, like I'm talking. I don't know what energy, but I'm Oh my gosh, how stressful. They me and they finally find me. They don't have <sighs> anything to monitor the baby. So, um, they don't like they can't do any like tests on them they just like test me my blood pressure was 60 <laughs> so it was low oh my low. goodness yeah so I remember the EMTs giving me an option of like oh do you want to just wait here until your husband for your husband to come I'm like this is an emergency like I don't feel well like yeah get me seen my husband's yeah. giving us away he'll meet me at the hospital and so that was weird that they like gave me an option so anyways mm-hmm. they grab my stuff and just excited like grab my purse grab the keys like I'm uh, we're gonna leave my car my husband's yeah. car here yeah. in a parking lot of a restaurant yeah so what's so, about to happen yeah exactly so EMS took me and I remember like they gave me I don't know if they like set up an IV or oxygen or just, it was a little blur, but I remember him saying like, she's not, her numbers aren't getting better. Like turn on the sirens. Mm. Cause they didn't have the sirens at all going to the hospital. Like until he yeah. said like her blood sugar, her blood pressure is still low. So they finally like got the, the lights on. And like, I remember like getting rushed into the hospital. Um, it was triage. They put me right upstairs, the labor delivery, like section, um, hobby was downstairs waiting. He ended up finding me after, um, but they like monitored me, plugged me up the doctor that was on call and she's now my OBGYN and mm. she's now, like my ND and like gave her a thank you card. Like she literally saved both of our lives. Like, mm. so she didn't know what was happening. Mm-hmm. All she knew was, and I remember how he was in the room and she's like, I think we need to deliver. We need to have an emergency wow. section. And I'm like, wow. I just went in cause I wasn't feeling yeah. good. I just went in for, <laughs> I was feeling faint. Like, what do you mean? I'm 33 weeks and four days like I'm not this isn't supposed to happen right now like and I just remember your stomach dropping when you get Mm -hmm. that news of like we still had months to prepare like I remember Mm -hmm. the weekend before I took a zoom uh labor class and I was like I don't have a preference I don't care if the seat's not I don't care if it's natural I don't care if I have meds like whatever's healthy for me and the baby I had no idea it was going to be like this emergency c-section so she's like all I know is the baby's heart rate is so high and he's not happy and Mm -hmm. that's I don't know what it is so Mm -hmm. 
what it was, was she didn't know until we got in the, the emergency room. Um, I didn't even change into a gown. I had my street clothes on by the time they wheeled wow. me. Like, so wow. it's like you are literally still trying to like grasp Process. this idea that this yeah. is going to happen. And they're like, all right, here we are. we're going. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And I remember the weirdest thing, like uh, some of the staff were like, congratulations, you're going to have your baby. I'm like, this isn't congratulations. No. Like, why yeah. are you saying congratulations? Like, this is a stressful, this like, is, this yeah. isn't supposed to happen right now. Yeah. Like, oh my the gosh. denial and just like it hitting and you just yeah. are so like, go with the flow. Like, you don't really have a say. And I remember like, they hooked me up to the the heart rates for him and and me and his was still really high but then the numbers like right before getting ready for the procedure like his numbers were in the normal range i'm like what is going on they literally had me hooked up to two different monitors because we thought it was the monitors it was picking up my heart rate and oh my goodness and so i'm like okay i just wanted to make sure one last time like if this is really necessary is really like do, yeah. what is you know and mm -hmm. i remember javi couldn't be with me for the epidural so they wheeled me mm -hmm. in to go do that and how I was, was that i'm still terrified of that <laughs> yeah honestly like that was the least the yeah. aftermath of the epidural i was laying down and i was throwing up like i was oh, yeah, throwing I up mm -hmm. like that in the scheme of thing and it's it's so hard because you don't like you have the sheet up we couldn't see anything yeah. i was so in and out like the blood pressure i had lost so much blood i so essentially when she got in to do the delivery the emergency c-section um she didn't know what was causing what was wrong because mm -hmm. again yeah. that 11 o'clock appointment was everything perfect. was fine everything yeah. was right fine. so in the span of seven hours you know from 11 i got to the e er at like seven o'clock at night by crazy. 11 o'clock he was being delivered and they got in and i had lost so much blood i lost like two liters of blood um mm. i had to have iron transfusion i remember them saying it was like saying the time like 1109 he's delivered and I remember asking right after but I guess Javi said it was like 15 or 20 minutes later that I finally registered to ask mm -hmm. but I was like is he out I don't hear him crying I don't mm -hmm. I don't hear oh anything gosh. and mm -hmm. like your stomach dropped yeah. like yeah. and even just being in and out like I was I didn't feel pain because I was so numb but mm -hmm. also just like psychologically mm -hmm. like not present and just mm -hmm. like you know just in, in shock your body's in shock mentally you're in shock like Javi was there with me the whole time he was just holding my head like mm -hmm. I was vomiting like it was just Sounds so super intense. I remember they said that you know the c-sections take like 45 minutes I was there mm -hmm. probably like an hour and a half like because the, I had lost so much blood um wow and so I remember asking, like, he's not, I don't hear him crying, like, what's going on? And um, the anesthesiologist that was, like, next to my head was like, we'll, we'll check, or, you know, they mm -hmm. took him off right away. Um, so hearing, talking to the doctor afterwards, like, mm -hmm. I, I had to come to a lot. Yeah. Um, I had what's called an, a placenta abruption, and it could have been a slow leak of, you know, oh, wow. bleeding. Um, mm -hmm. I didn't know. I didn't have any external bleeding. I didn't have any signs. They call it an occult um, 
placenta abruption because it's unknown. You didn't know until wow. the doctor went in. So essentially this doctor, like not knowing what's going on, not knowing what's wrong, like just felt in her gut, like baby's heart rate's not, we need to do this. It turned out to be an unknown placenta abruption. Wow. So the placenta detached wow. and that's the life source of, of the yeah. baby. So I mean, that doctor knows, literally saved your guys' yeah, life. Which is a crazy God story because her name is like Samara Knight. So her last name, her last name is Knight, like a, a, yes. a knight. And then her yes. first name, it was so unique and she looked Caucasian, but um, it's like protector of God or like God's protection. And so mm, her wow. name literally is God protected like Knight. So it was just like, I feel like God every step of the, <laughs> the way. Yeah. So Essentially, I learned later from a NICU nurse of his APGAR scores. So APGAR is what they, you know, when a baby's born, what kind of their rating scale is like. It looks at, like, color, breathing, heart rate, like, a lot of different, like, I don't remember Mm -hmm. all the categories. And, like, a healthy baby, I think, an APGAR score is, like, 10. And not it's not common for, like, a 10 out of 10 score. Like, sometimes Mm -hmm. kids have jaundice, so it would be 8 out of 10 or, like, right. Little Luca's AFCOR score when he was first born was a one. And then 20 Aww. minutes later, he was a two. And I remember the Aww. nurse telling me that. I'm like, he was, he was barely hanging on. Like, mm. he had to be resuscitated. So he had a bruise oh on his chest. Um, and then it's also hard, like, especially sometimes normal motherhood normal deliveries can be a trigger for me because you see on social media like you know having the baby to your breast right after I didn't have really any you know preference for the the birth experience but I had more preferences after delivery I'm like I want to breastfeed right after I want to you know delay a bath I want to have that like special bonding time and I didn't get any of that and so Mm -hmm. I was still recovering Javi was the first one to to see him in the NICU they took him right away um I didn't get to see him until so he delivered 11.09 p.m I didn't get to see him until like three in the morning 3 30 in the morning so it was like a few Mm -hmm. hours after we both had to get like stable he had blood transfusions he needed blood and iron I had to get iron transfusions the next day and I was still so weak I couldn't like even Saturday and Sunday and I remember one of the nurses on Sunday was like you should be way more far along than you are you know, it helps you to oh, get up and move around. Lovely to oh hear. Gosh. <laughs> Do you know the history I just went through? Like, I just had a blood, like, a transition. Yeah. Like, what are you talking So, <sighs> there were definitely favorite nurses and not. Um, yeah. I ended up being yeah. in the hospital recovering from, so that was Friday night. I was there till Tuesday night for myself. Um, mm-hmm. Wow. And so, Luca, yeah, I didn't get to see him till 4 a.m. or 3 a.m. And I remember a chaplain came and that night. And one of the things that just stood out to me about him was like, look at the baby. Don't look at all the cords and wires and things connected. Like, mm. try to see beyond and past all of those things and just look at him. <laughs> and like, yeah. that just really stuck with me. And like, Zill, you'll get this. I was not impressed with the social work department at this hospital. I didn't get checked on. Even three months of a NICU wow. stay didn't get checked on once with the social work department. It's like, you know, when you know what the standards are supposed to be, it's like, uh-huh. come on, guys, yeah. man. Yeah. So he ended up being um, born at 33 weeks and four days. And for that 
early he was five pounds 12 ounces oh my goodness <laughs> so wow going to the NICU and seeing all these like really really tiny, tiny guys and like he just looks like a full-term baby like it's hard it's even just mentally hard to see like you think of yeah. this little guy but he was big he was a big boy so I'm like I couldn't imagine how big he would have been at 38 big baby so um yeah I stayed I was pumping I remember they like really got on about like pumping during that um hospital stay um and just recovering so that's his his story and he you know he ended up being in the NICU for 11 weeks and I think one of my things like how I can help share my story with other families like in the NICU like the beginning of the NICU is such like a a survival mode like mm-hmm. you just want them to be healthy you just want them to survive like on lifelines and I remember mm-hmm. sitting in rounds with the doctors of like they're made up of just chemicals like he couldn't eat he was on just IV fluids and breathing he was intubated so mm-hmm. just the breathing mm-hmm. stuff and it was so hard to just see him like because yeah. of all this stuff all on this his stuff. face and on his body Mm-hmm. And I remember we didn't do our first skin to skin until eight days later. Wow. wow. He was still in- intubated. I remember like, like just being able to like put my hand on his head and like caress mm. his head. And like, that was our first touch. And like, thank God to the, one of the nurses that offered to do hold, holding and skin to skin. Cause mm-hmm. you're just, you don't know what you don't know and you don't know what's allowed and what's not. And for the longest time, being a first-time mom, too, like, you don't feel like you're empowered at all. Mm-hmm. You don't have the power. And you don't feel like a mom. And so right. I have a very yeah. unhealthy relationship with pumping because I'm like, mm-hmm. pumping is the only thing I can do as a mom to help him, like, provide breast milk for him. Like, that's yeah. And so I'm going to put my heart and soul into pumping. So I was doing every two to three hours even when wow. I had to go home, like I'd wake up in the middle of night and, and pump every two to three hours. And like other moms that I met in the NICU had like a six hour sleep stretch. And like, no, I want to feel like I have a newborn at home and like pumping for me is feeling like he's with me. And like, yeah, I would be sleep deprived if he was here and I want some normal experiences to yeah. that, you know, I remember doing the same exact thing when Sophia was in the NICU um, and she was still there and I was discharged. So I was home and they were like, just let us feed her so you can get through the night. And I'm like, no, I am feeding my baby. Like, and I came back every two hours and I was just you. determined. Yeah. 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 That's so oh, like, that's so cool though, that you stuck with that. Cause you, you know, yeah. you wanted that. Now, seven months later, I'm still pumping. Yeah. It's not as amazing. As well, but- has gone because in the beginning I was averaging like seven to eight times a day in that 24 hour. And now, you know, I'll talk about that more, but, um, so yeah, it, I think the hardest things about the NICU are, um, leaving the, when you get discharged and your baby has to stay there and you're literally leaving a piece of your heart to have to go home. Mm -hmm. And like when you're in the hospital, you can see them anytime, like they have to rest. And so they have the cares, you know, every three hours and you Mm -hmm. can change your diaper and take a temperature and, you know, it's very structured and, and you can't do, do much. And, you know, and the other thing I would tell parents is like, 
don't be afraid to ask to hold your baby mm-hmm. because you don't feel like you can, or you don't feel, or you feel like an inconvenience asking a nurse. Like the first week I didn't even think to, because of all the cords and stuff until that mm-hmm. one of the nurses said, do you want to hold him? And like, wow. I broke down, like I have our pictures and I just like mm-hmm. was so teary eyed because like, yeah, he, he didn't almost just that bonding you didn't get right after and then having Mm -hmm. to go home and then we're 30 minutes away so and then by the time you know you get to the hospital and park and you have to scrub up every time like that's an extra 15 minutes and so 45 minutes round to get in and just like making it on time and so um I am proud to say like I saw him I never missed a NICU day. I was there every single day for 11 weeks seeing him. And I'd be there between, you know, two to three cares, which is three hours apart. So, you know, I was there six to eight hours. It was like a work day. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. I was going to say, like, there's your, there's your maternity leave right there. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and that's the crazy thing. So I had maternity leave. By the time he came home from the hospital, my maternity leave was up. Done. And I'm yeah. like, I can't go back to work. Like, he just got home. Like, yeah. my maternity leave was. And I remember just feeling a lot of the guilt, like, when he was still in the NICU. Like, my family ended up coming out in September because they were there to help. And getting time with them and, and wanting to show them around. But feeling guilty of, like, I can't go see a movie. Like, I can't have fun. I have a baby yeah. in the hospital. Like, if if he was home, I wouldn't be doing these things. If he was mm-hmm. home, I wouldn't be at a restaurant eating right now. Like mm-hmm. I wouldn't be doing these. And so it was this, this weird guilt thing. So the other thing in the NICU that I'd say kind of two advocacy pieces and Priscilla, I really resonated with your first episode of your NICU mm-hmm. experience saying like the Facebook groups, but also the community and like reaching mm-hmm. out for support. Um, and I learned all of the support group stuff through nurses. Again, the social work team was MIA, apparently. Wow. And so it's wow. not these nur- NICU nurses' jobs to give me these. But no. there was one really good one called Hand to Hold. And they're based in Texas. And they do Zoom. And so they have one-on-one and then parent support stuff. And I learned from one of them that you can request something called a primary and secondary nurses. So when you have a long stay, the consistency for your baby to have to like mm-hmm. know the same nurses day in oh. and day out is huge for them. So you can re- request to have yeah. the same nurses. So when so they're cool. on a shift and so you can have like a primary set and then the secondary is like if, you know, a weekend or on those off shift times. So I didn't know that wow. on month, like two and a half or three. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah. I would have loved to know this. And so he, hand to hold that's, is that like a support group for parents with children in the NICU yeah. is the kind of just generally not. Okay. Yeah. Um, any grief and loss bereavement. Um, okay. yeah, it's called hand to hold. I can send you the link, but you can literally like schedule They have support groups weekly over that's Zoom amazing. and then you can do one-to-one and there are parents that have been through it. And even when you go home and as a graduated NICU parent, like you can mm-hmm. still attend and like get support mm-hmm. and stuff. Um, that's I went so to cool. two or three, but I'll put it in the notes of our episode. So yeah, yeah, yeah. that sounds amazing. So again, you don't know what you don't know until you go Mm -hmm. through it and then you're navigating and hindsight, you know, and the other thing the NICU does, they do not give a timeline of discharge Mm -hmm. because it's all Mm -hmm. on the baby's schedule. It's all on their progress. And so 
they kind of in the beginning put it up to like oh around the the due date the due date's kind of usually when they start you know a few weeks after before or after like it just really depends and so that's what's hard like and there's different wings to the NICU so on one wing it's like the really high critical um you know, and then the other wing is like stable. They're not on all of the IVs and cords and the breathing tubes. They get lower mm-hmm. in oxygen and they're more stable. And that wing is really focused and dedicated to feeding. Mm. And so one of the things they don't teach us <laughs> or that, you know, the, the one wing of the survival, you're just in that survival mode. Survival mode hoping yeah. he survives. And you think mm-hmm. once he transfers to the other wing, the stable wing, he can go home. You mm-hmm. just expect like, okay, he's stable, his numbers, he's still breathing. You can go home on oxygen and navigate mm-hmm. that. Like, And we thought the longest journey was the stability piece, the survival mode, getting him stable enough. No, the longest part, the NICU process, the most frustrating roller coaster is the feeding. Mm-hmm. And again, he didn't get the bonding to breastfeed. He didn't learn hunger cues he didn't Mm. do a lot of the power feeding or whatever like he was getting fed through an ng tube because it was a lot of coordination and like his lungs had to work and his body had to heal to be able to eat and like babies the biggest thing they do is eat that's how they burn calories that's how you know Mm -hmm. that's a lot of work like being able to suck swallow Mm -hmm. breathe at the same time like that's a lot and so a lot of babies, they're, it's called a sphincter muscle that's at the top of the gut, um, mm-hmm. doesn't close because this NG tube from their nose to their stomach stays mm-hmm. open to be able to get the feed. And so some babies, when they get more bubble, they'll start pulling it out. I'm like, oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. So he was on, luckily, I was never around when that happened. He, he was a very sleepy baby. He yeah. slept a lot. Um I remember he breastfed maybe once or twice, and then it was really this emphasis every cares every three hours to mm-hmm. try to get him on a bottle. And, you know, I would be pumping there. Um, and it's just, it, it was very inconsistent for him of, of learning the bottle. He'd have some good days, and it took him a long time. It was probably month two where he was on that other wing and trying to, to learn the bottle. And wow. uh, yeah. It, and that was the most frustrating time because you don't expect you're like, Oh, he's stable now. I can mm-hmm. take him home. Mm-hmm. But it's like, no, we've got to learn to eat. He's got to learn yeah. to take enough volume so that we're not ending up here at like failure to thrive. Right. Or right. Like that. Yeah. And, and so I- I imagine like having one good day. It's like, okay, we're going to, this is it. We're going to go. And then nope. Yeah, man. And so the hardest times during my three month NICU was leaving, discharging, having him to having to stay there. Mm -hmm. And then I did weekend like breastfeeding or bottle feeding challenges where I could be there for a weekend. And they did, it could only be one parent and they'd rent a little room thing that was free upstairs. And that was the other convenient thing, like being able to be at the hospital. Cause again, we were Mm -hmm. 30 minutes away. It was a process to, you know, make it an effort to, to be there and, and see him um, and be there all day. Um, It just was so taxing and the toll of that. Um, So 
those weekends where he wouldn't bottle or after a 72 hour challenge Mm -hmm. where, you know, he wouldn't breastfeed, but then he wouldn't take a bottle or he'd sleep through a cares like, and I'd have to go home and it's like, Oh, this is another weekend. This is another thing where I'm having to leave the hospital after 72 hours. And he has to stay here. Yeah. He doesn't get it come. Yeah. How many times do you think that you did that in total? Two or three two or three, which I could imagine would just be hard on you and your spouse as well. It's like having to be separated and then having to, you know, Mm -hmm. try and accomplish something and then just feel defeated. Yeah. One's getting to build that bond a little bit more and the other doesn't get to come. And it's like, the other thing is, is the trust of the NICU staff. I felt better once I had those primaries because I learned the nurses. I knew their style. Yeah. They knew yeah. me and like my story and, and what I, I needed and gave me some of the independence to be able to like hold and care and, and things like that. But I remember sitting in the beginning and like hearing babies just cry and cry and cry oh. for hours. And it's like, mm. where's the NICU nurse? And we know about the brain. We saw Dr. Bruce mm-hmm. Perry, you know, yes. so like yes. with the, the trauma and just where your brain goes of like the developmental, like yeah. the abuse. Oh, and I, I would, yeah, I would imagine for you, it's like the knowledge piece there makes it mm-hmm. maybe even more like you, you, you can't be naive to the situation and you kind of know yeah. like how impactful these these yeah. days are and and thinking the worst of what's happening yeah. when I'm not here and yep mm-hmm. yeah so yeah. and one of my girlfriends got me these Amazon um NICU affirmation cards and they actually oh, were so nice and helpful like <clears throat> just some of the things were like your baby is in the safest place that it could possibly yeah. be your baby is that. where mm-hmm. you know they they need to heal and get strong to be able to thrive at home or, and just like really helpful, like your baby is safe, like safe yeah. place to be, you know? Yeah. Mm. Um, so I, when just I, just to check I yourself, some of those, yeah. 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 So I remember like we were in, you know, month two and a half bottle feeding was not taken off. He was still really cons- inconsistent. He was still really sleeping, sleepy during feeds and I remember asking one of the speech therapists there I was like do babies ever get discharged on like a tube like can I just take them home now I can do this I know what I'm doing (laughs) yeah a month earlier but then we started getting denial letters from insurance saying this baby can come home he's not medically necessary you know to be there oh my gosh and so finally one of the providers had the conversation that okay he's not taking bottles we know that babies do better when they're home with their parents yeah. it's one-on-one you know it's a nurses every shifts and you know we can read his cues and so finally they talked about us having him to go through surgery to get a g-tube so a g-tube um what does it stand for gastro something so stomach mm-hmm. So it's not, and I had, this is a whole nother topic and it's very love hate relationship because it's so unnatural, but it keeps them alive. So essentially yeah. they don't send people home on the NG tube through mm-hmm. the nose because babies pull that out Hold and out. They have yeah. to have tape yeah. on their face. And if he had oxygen, luckily he passed his car seat test and didn't have to have oxygen coming home. So that was Yay. one last thing. Um, but the G tube is a surgery where it's literally, they go through the belly button and put an incision or whatnot. And it's a device. It's literally a hole in their yeah. stomach so that yeah. the, t- the feeding tube with the pump can get connected to the stomach and they can feed through that mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. And so the other hardest part of the NICU was seeing your baby go through surgery mm. and like 
the guilt of leaving him after, like I had been there all day. Like his surgery was like mm-hmm. 9 a.m. I got there at like 7.30. I was there doing cuddles with him. Like, and I remember I was there like, yeah, all like 10 hours. And I remember telling Javi when I got home just to sleep and have dinner and stuff. I'm like, if you were in surgery, I'd be next to your side the entire time. Like I would spend the night at the hospital. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> and why is it that if he's a baby, shouldn't yeah. I be with him? Like, and so that's a, a weird mental thing. Like, but again, in the NICU, they don't have beds. They don't have, yeah. they have chairs yeah. that you sit next to. Like it's not, so it's that balance of like taking care of yourself. And that's what everybody told me. Like you have to take care of yourself to be, mm-hmm. able to be there for him. But the surgery, like it was very, his size was on his side for that because he's a bigger boy and mm. that it made it easier for some of the, the procedures, the surgeons to find stuff. Um, I remember he was really, you know, they, they had him in- intubated again, for the freezing mm-hmm. machine just to go under the hardest part of the NICU, the second hardest part was seeing him wake up from the surgery because his body, he could breathe on his own. His body started to reject the, um, the tube, the breathing tube in his lungs. And Mm -hmm. I remember like them telling them like, Oh, he's waking up. He's waking up. He's coming to like, like he's not happy. He's not happy. And it just escalated to the point where like his heart's dropping now, like, and I remember his heart rate being at like in the 60s and it felt, you know, how like slow motion it feels like it's like three minutes long when it's probably only a minute and a half or something. And I remember we were in the stable wing, but tons of providers just rushing to like take out the intubator, taking out. And I remember one of the nurses was like, this is a mechanical thing. He respond, his body responded because it was rejecting it. Like he's fine. It's not a heart thing. Like it's just, yeah. it, he needed to get it out. Um, and that was, I was just standing back. It's like a, one of those hospitals. So like Grey's Anatomy, you're just standing back watching this team of professionals just like around this little body, you know, doing all their stuff. Um, so essentially after three weeks and or three months and him getting stable and, and the G-tube surgery, we were able to bring him home. <laughs> Amazing. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So he wow. was arriving. Um, it's funny, uh, Zoe, I told one of our old mm-hmm. CCS supervisors, mm-hmm. um, Tweety Bird, about mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. all the providers. She's like, oh, he's got a little wraparound team around him. Yes. <laughs> so he literally has early intervention. Good. So we have Good. speech, PT, OT, all, everybody coming Everyone. into the massage, everybody coming to the home. Oh. We have outpatient providers. He has a chronic care team a pediatrician, a G-tube, like, and that's the thing I said about, like, I'm lucky to be a social worker because I learned how, I know how to advocate. And yeah. Like, mm-hmm. One yeah. of our early intervention providers. So we got home middle of October and we mm-hmm. were on a wait list. We didn't start services with one and they just had a long wait list. I'm like, I'm not doing this. And we had a home yeah. health nurse that was like, try this agency. Mm-hmm. And so I requested, like, we're going to switch. And we got yeah. him right in and there wasn't a wait list. Well, that is such a good point, I think patients often don't realize like you can switch you can do your own research and and change your mind and go somewhere else like that is your shopping around yeah 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 Yeah. so and then the the pros and cons of the g-tubes like yeah there's a machine keeping them alive but then if the machine ever fails or there's like air pockets in the pump line that just fill his stomach like and then his reflux got bad so he never had reflux during the NICU until he got the Mm -hmm. g-tube and so Mm -hmm. after feeds like before during after feeds he'll just vomit 
and it's so uncomfortable for him and it'll be through his nose and like yes. I just hate it for him I hate it yeah. so a lot of babies can have like oral aversion so he yeah. literally has not taken a bottle um since Christmas like since yeah. we got home in October to December like he was it was inconsistent but he would take some but it just declined and then at three or four months they they lose their sucking reflex Mm-hmm. Um, which he did mm-hmm. and he never was a binky kid or anything. So mm-hmm. it's navigating just even that can be a trigger and I'm jumping around a little bit. No, you're just okay. like, yeah, with, with the emergency C-section, just like, ugh, you're not pregnant anymore. You were pregnant, yeah. then you're not. Mm-hmm. And like processing that. And I remember mm-hmm. when he was in the NICU and I was still like the first few weeks after that, I remember having these weird triggers that I didn't expect of like putting my pregnancy clothes away. Like mm-hmm. I'm not pregnant anymore. I'm not wearing these. Yeah. I should have had them another six week and I'm putting them away or like driving in the car and listening to music and not hear feeling him kick anymore. And like mm-hmm. we'd have these little kick games and stuff we'd play. And like, mm-hmm. that's all of a sudden gone. Like that's yeah. not there anymore. And like, what else? There's another one. Um, I don't know. Just, just weird. Oh, my last baby bump picture. <laughs> like I remember like yeah. the, the last bump picture I had was I was trying on swimsuits at Target mm-hmm. because it was summer and I wanted yes. to, you know, be able to go float somewhere. And I remember I didn't have, that was two weeks prior and I didn't have a most updated bump picture. So it was just weird little, so even just like yeah. processing the cease, not being pregnant anymore yeah. and, and just navigating all of the NICU stuff and like finally I feel empowered like I'm his mom like mm-hmm. I, I he knows me the best like he's a mm-hmm. mom's boy like he, he's so happy he was really sleepy in the beginning and just very like serious like observant <laughs> and now he's the happiest boy like he just smiles all the time oh. like finding his interest and like yeah. just seeing him personality and yeah, all of that so but I've sweet. learned it's on his timeline like mm-hmm. yeah and with early intervention like so there's adjusted age so even though he's six months developmentally mm-hmm. he's maybe only four okay. so yeah. knowing like and that's where the early intervention team really helps put it in perspective for me and like other thing I, I advocated for is like at the pediatrician, they give you those ages and stages questionnaire to see the milestones of where you're so dumb. <laughs> they don't account for adjusted age. So you'll go in and they'll give the baby the exact age. And it's so dis- it happened once or twice. It's so discouraging when you're saying not yet. Nope, nope, mm-hmm. not doing this. She should be doing all these things. But then when mm-hmm. you ask for the adjusted age yeah. of those questionnaires, oh, he's doing all these things. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. So they don't Ugh. think about that at the office. So, mm-hmm. yeah. But he's he's healthy, and um, we've got our schedule down now being at home. I remember just being in survival mode, navigating the G2 feeds, and I was very strict. I had been at the hospital all day, every day for 11 weeks, mm-hmm. so I was very much like – every three hours yeah yeah and that's what's so un- like unnatural about the g-tube it's the mm-hmm. same volume at certain window and it's like that's so not human that we eat the mm-hmm. same amount every single mm-hmm. time for three every three hours and my husband and i we really balance each other out because he's very like let's watch his cues 
relax. Don't be anxious. Like, we can, you know, we can yes. delay it 30 minutes. Like, if he's still sleeping, let him sleep. He's going to be fed. Like, it's yeah. Not, yeah. Not yeah. So it's, that's been like, you know, yeah, just finding our rhythm and routine. And a lot of speech therapists have said, like, the feeding journey is a marathon. And mm-hmm. I remember in the beginning, it was just all we focused on was just, yeah. oh, we have to feed again. Because the feeds would take an hour for the tube, and then we'd have mm-hmm. to keep them upright for an hour plus because of the reflex. And then some families, those Facebook community groups that mm-hmm. are amazing, and you feel like you're not alone, because a lot of friends, like I'm one of the last people in my friend group to have a baby and they all had normal experiences <laughs> and it's like yeah you it's hard to yeah and then the other journey that we're going through is like he's getting hearing aids next month so when mm. with the placenta abruption it was bleeding inside who knows how long he went without oxygen he had a brain bleed too um mm. And so we've gone through neurology, cardiology, he's had an MRI, he's had an echogram for the heart, and literally, like, he's been healed of everything that was an issue. So that's been amazing. Um, And he's a great sleeper, but um, he has some hearing loss. And one of the hearing people from the state is like, it's, he can hear bass, but not treble. So the articulation of sound, Mm -hmm. like, he can't distinct between like kitchen and chicken and yeah. like things like that and so we're going okay. through a lot of that and that's crystal that's one thing that resonated like mm-hmm. your daughter you know the legal yeah. piece and like navigating like those special needs and and providers and that's all new to me no idea yeah <laughs> yeah I would just say I mean you sound like you're on the right track just you know you know how to advocate for yourself and you're reaching out to those groups and that's all you can do because I mean I'm sure you know like you're in the middle of it right now I can remember so many nights just like my goodness just being up just stressed and worried and you said that anxiety came in and that was our first two years of having her because it was all unknown we didn't know anything (laughs) yeah 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 it's a whole new world especially sleeping I remember like I have these weird phantom moments that we, we co-slept a little bit at the beginning like yes. I know it's not allowed but like he'd have to be upright during feeds and yeah. a lot of G2 families will do continuous feed where they're plugged into the machine 24 like all night from like wow. 10 p.m to 6 a.m and you wake up once to like refill the tube and everything but it's to help mm. them sleep so they have to lay down and it's like that again isn't natural. We're not supposed to be eating while we're like fully sleeping and like yeah. his reflex yeah. being inclined. Like, so we always chose bolus feeds. So bolus is like a sit down meal. And now we have mm-hmm. those in 40 minutes. But like, I remember like when we finally got him to his crib and stopped doing night feeds, like I'd wake up in the middle of the night, like holding on the mm. pillows thinking it was him. I'm like, yeah. oh my gosh, where, where is he in the oh. bed? Like, oh, he's, it took me so long to like come to him and be like, oh, he's safe in his crib like yeah yeah oh so what does that look like for um because I know you said he's six months old Mm -hmm. so what is that gonna look like six months from now for you guys is it gonna you know I don't know that world very often so educate me there a little bit so the adjusted age with like the developmental and the milestones goes up Mm -hmm. they count adjusted up to age two Okay. Um, oh, okay. With the hearing piece, we get services up to like age six because speech is still developing mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. early on. Um, 
with the G-Tube, it's so hard because a part of these Facebook community groups, like there will be kids. And it's one of those naive things my husband and I, oh, now that he's home, we'll take bottles and he'll be off the G-Tube in three months. No, some Facebook groups that I follow, their kids are on the tube until six or seven or eight. Like, do we put our life on hold and not like go on family vacations or visit Mm -hmm. family out of state because of just the learning curve of how, and he's going to be more mobile. And luckily he has not pulled out the tube yet during a feed or anything like Mm -hmm. that. But so I know that's coming. We try to do books and songs during the, the feed. And luckily we got it down to 40 minutes instead of the full hour for a feed. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's just continuing therapy. And the good news is he is such an oral kid. So even though he doesn't suck, his just his tongue is always hanging out. Yes. Like a little puppy dog. <laughs> <laughs> Everything was about to like suck on my neck. Oh, good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Those are all good signs. Yeah. 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 Amazing. Well, you are super mom just going through everything that you're going through. And yeah, I mean, you even just talk about it with such Mm -hmm. ease and yeah. 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 It's amazing. Mm -hmm. And I think too, it's like going back to the beginning of, of what you were sharing with the pregnancy journey and just the motherhood journey, it looks so different for every single person. And, Mm -hmm. you know, this might have been your experience with this child, but who's to say, you know, if you get pregnant again and have another baby, you're going to have a whole nother different experience. And, you know, like Priscilla, you know, you, your two kids could not be more different. And those experiences are so different. So, yeah, I know that was, you know, I was thinking about that too, when you were sharing your story. And I was just thinking about when we had our second, I had so, I remember being in the hospital and Selena, my second, she hadn't eaten for like, we were coming up on hour three and she was just out. She was so, you know, just sleeping. And I was like, we need to check her blood sugar. I'm like, something's going on. Like, you know, and the the nurses had to like, talk me down. They're like, she's okay. But it was just so, yeah. I mean, our second, you know, we were blessed. She's healthy, no health complications, but it was just so different for me. And so that was something that I really had to, you know, there's a lot of trauma there. So, yeah. And I remember all the nurses were like, the NICU is such a traumatic place. And like, Mm -hmm. they kept, my husband and I talked about that. It's like, should we feel traumatized? Because everybody's telling us the experience is such a trauma, traumatic thing. And like the delivery and everything was traumatic. But I'm like, okay, it's the NICU. Like you didn't really process yeah. it until you're home yeah. and mm-hmm. stable. And once, and we know with the brain and trauma, like once you're stable, mm-hmm. then memories come by, then nightmares, mm-hmm. then flashbacks, then all these things. And like, even when he, he can sleep through the night, eight to nine hours, every little cough or, you know, cause kids silent aspirate and we've got mm-hmm. bricks under the cribs to elevate him, but it's like, mm-hmm. kids can choke and die. So every little, it's crazy how fast awake I go when mm-hmm. I hear any little mm-hmm. sound. Cause I'm like, what if he's choking? What if he's, you know, spitting up and he's swollen? Like, yeah. so I, I, that's a whole nother thing. I'd love to pick your brain about like, when mm-hmm. do you know you're ready for the second? Cause I know I'm going to need to do a lot of internal work before. I'm even ready because we always wanted two kids my husband's an only child and it's like we always yeah. wanted a sibling but like can I go through this again <laughs> like I know yeah so. I think when you're in it you're just like fight or flight and yeah 
yeah, we always wanted ours close, but it was still, I can remember, I mean, yeah, Sophia's two years of life, like with her hormone deficiency, you know, she was just growing into all of her dosaging with everything. And so we were in the hospital. I mean, every other month it felt like for every single thing, because she has that stress hormone deficiency. So anytime there was an ear infection, a simple ear infection that, you know, we've been able to take care of at home for my other one. It was like straight to the hospital we go and we were there for 24 hours and yeah, but I think you, I don't, I don't know when there's lots of long nights yeah. and lots of praying and yeah, I mean, yeah. there's nothing, you know, yeah. It's I just like I taking a leap of faith out. of like, for sure. it's just going to be brave and, and hope for the, hope for the best. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I've, I've met with specialists and they're like, well, every pregnancy, the placenta is different. So mm-hmm. it's very slim, slimmer chances for another placenta abruption. They're mm-hmm. very not common at all. Like yeah. one in a hundred women, it's like the severe range and stuff. And so I feel like everything we've been through, it's like these small population of people that have gone through it. Like even the mm-hmm. YouTube stuff, like I think the hospital said they've only done 40 in a year or something. And wow. And so, yeah, definitely like finding the support and the mm-hmm. support mm-hmm. groups where you can, because that, you know, hearing, and it, it's bad to say, but hearing other people's experience where they have it worse than you, because <laughs> you think your experience is like the worst, yeah. but then like yeah. being able to compare it, like, oh, it, it could be worse. That was mm-hmm. huge for me. Um, just, you know, seeing other people going through it too because that's the most difficult part. I mean, you feel like isolating. you're in it. Yeah, it's completely yeah. isolating. But yeah. it sounds like you have a great husband and yeah. he's just been there for everything. And I think that yeah. that too is like everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. you know, you can just cry to him and he's there to support yeah. you. And yeah, yeah. that's- he's Going through it with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's during the yeah. way. And it's interesting because we both have such different experiences of it. Mm-hmm. like during the C-sex and like he had to run home 30 minutes away to take care of the dogs and like he didn't get any sleep while I was in the hospital and like he was the first one to see Luca and it mm-hmm. just yeah and him having to work and from home and then you know have that switch where I hear my baby crying downstairs but now I'm having to be there for other people's problems over the computer yeah. because I have to financially provide because I'm not working like yeah, yeah. it's just a different yeah. thing so yeah yeah, yeah. that's really <laughs> tough <laughs> Yeah, it's it's huge. Well, wanting to hear, I mean, you've touched on, I've written some notes that I'm definitely going to add to our, I I love those affirmation cards and the hand to hold resource, but thinking about any other like advice or any other like words of comfort for people that listen, anything that comes to mind outside of what you've already said, because I feel like you have shared so much, but is there Mm -hmm. any other, anything else that... Yeah, I think one of my biggest things and like I've done play therapy before and I know mm-hmm. like kids and I think learning as a parent of like, you know, especially in the NICU, like you're on the kids, you're on the baby's timeline, like, mm-hmm. and yeah. so much as adults, we want to rush it. But it's like, we have to be patient and give them the tools to be able to thrive. And like, if we push it, like if we push bottles when he wasn't ready, he'd have more of an oral 
you know, aversion to it. And so really, I, and I also think like, I even get warmed up when (laughs) providers tell me this of like, he's your baby. Like you read him the most, like he knows Mm -hmm. you, he knows your scent and your smell and like nothing can replace that, like that primary attachment. Um, and so even though you have a bunch of nurses looking out, like he, they, it is your baby. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. he knows your voice from the womb. Like, and so I would say, just those things to empower like that attachment piece and um yeah yeah Yeah, that's great (laughs) thank you so much Jen it was so great just hearing your story and yeah Yeah. this was therapeutic for me too so yeah it's so nice to be able to talk especially I mean all three of us we've had such different experiences with pregnancy and it's like to have other people to talk to and to hear like you know, you're not alone. And, and I love tackling yeah. the hard things though. Yeah. You don't see the hard things on no. social media. It's so yeah, taboo no. or shame mm-hmm. or guilt. And mm-hmm. it, it, like social media is this picture perfect world. Yeah. And then you feel worse when you see that because you yeah. think it's so uncommon. So that's why right. I love this, what you guys are doing here, because it's so empowering to be like, right. it's not yeah. picture perfect. Like everybody no. has their own story and hardship mm-hmm. and like, it's life yeah yeah yeah, it's it's life and 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 I think yeah to be able to talk about it it's like this is what's happening and you know this is Mm -hmm. our truth and and this is what it is and it's not maybe what you want to hear all the time or it's (laughs) not going to be all pretty and it's going to be messy but it's yeah this is what it is and it's yeah it's nice to be able to be able to talk like open and freely and and, Mm -hmm. I love that together (laughs) yeah Well, thanks again, guys. Of course. So just quickly, though, um, I wanted to make sure whoever is listening, if they want to be able to find you, um, you might do it better than me. If you want to just say what your Instagram is and your YouTube channel, which I love, if you want to just let people know how they can find you. Yeah. So my my Instagram is jenlow underscore MSW. Is that Mm -hmm. right? I'm so I think bad. So. Yeah. This yeah. is bad yeah. business. Like, nope. I don't no, it is. It is that. That's <laughs> no, what I have. <laughs> my, my YouTube is uh, just Jen L. And that was like made that in 2007. <laughs> I love it. And there's some pretty, I was skimming through this morning on, on your yeah. YouTube and there's some pretty cool videos on there. So yeah. I would absolutely recommend people check it out. Um, yeah. Well, thanks Jen. It yeah, was really you. awesome to talk with you and you um yeah, if listeners have, you know, any stories that they want to share, um, please, please, I know we always say this, but let us know because um, this is just so healing and just, it's, mm-hmm. you know, wish that it might be on different terms that we're all getting together. Yeah. But I think, you know, it's, it's so good to get together and be able to talk. So yeah. absolutely. 